Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me again for another great conversation to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. That is what we are all about. And today we're talking not only about wider talent development, but how you can be thinking about improving your game and your own career in talent development. And my guest today is an expert that is going to be able to help you with that. My guest today is Amy Barnard-Bond, who has been recognized by four as one of the top coaches for legal and compliance executives. She's a former Fortune Global 50 executive and a consultant to the C-suite and leaders of global companies like Bank of the West, Adobe, AbbVie, and The Gap, and more. She's also a member of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches, which is pretty impressive. Amy guest lectures at Stanford and UC Berkeley and is a contributor to Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and many other publications and is a member of the Harvard Institute of Coaching. A lifelong diversity advocate, Amy testified for the successful passage of California SB 826 and Washington SB 6037, the first U.S. laws requiring corporate boards to include women. And Amy earned her law degree from Georgetown University Law Center and her BA from Tufts. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. Delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. We were introduced by Dr. Angela Stopper, who was mm-hmm. on the show not that long ago, who was uh, running everything pretty much at UC Berkeley, CLO <laughs> yes, over there. Yes, she does. Of course, we talked with her a lot about what she's doing in career development, how she's revamped a lot of those programs. And I also got a chance to see her recently at ATD in San Diego. Nice. We were just kind of nice. chatting about that. And I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you because- You're an expert on many things that I want to get to in this podcast, especially this idea of promotability and what it looks like to become more promotable. And I think this is relevant for L&D professionals who want to find more career success for themselves, but also they are out there trying to help people in their organizations become more successful, happier, more fulfilled in their careers, which is by nature, what we do in talent development, right? So a lot of times this advice can be twofold, right? So as you're listening, think about how do I use this for myself and how do I help others around me? We're going to have some great career tips as well as if we can get to it, maybe some advice on delivering bad news. The other side of that, one of the other topics that you write about, one of the many topics you write about. Before we get to that, Amy, maybe we can just start with a little bit of background. Like, How did you get into all this? Because you come from a legal background, right? With a law degree, moving into this space of coaching and speaking and training and helping people with careers seems to be, I don't know, maybe different from what you started out trying to do. Yeah. Great question. It's taken me a few years to be able to articulate this, but I'd say my purpose is to inspire and lead change. And so when I look back at my career, I'd say, okay, that's, that's the through line. That's the red thread that goes through everything. So otherwise it it doesn't make a lot of sense necessarily, or it didn't. And I can't say that it was a, it was not a linear path. I started out as a as an English major, creative writing, poetry, and a minor in Chinese, and then went to law school and went there because I wanted to work in equity and diversity and and did for a bit. 
And that was amazing. But then the reality of law student loans set in and getting a job that was uh, going to pay a regular salary as opposed to working for a beloved nonprofit. So moved to California from D.C., worked at a litigation firm, did some employment litigation and both plaintiff and defense, which is super helpful when I then went in-house as an HR business partner. I found that I did not like litigation. It seemed like a waste of money and that people were unhappy on one side or the other. Either they were suing someone and they were unhappy and obviously angry at that entity or person, or they were being sued and really not happy. So it was just, and and then I also found, you'll appreciate this, that so many of the employment disputes could have been resolved if people had just been a little more respectful, a little nicer, or a little more transparent Mm. and better better at delivering feedback. Okay. So again, great background for HR. So then I went into HR, loved it. I could be on the front end of problems, right? I could coach managers, help um, navigate, be on the right side of, of justice. If, if an employee was being taken advantage of, I could. I was in a position to help facilitate the right outcome. So likewise, if an employee wasn't being accountable for their performance, I could be in the right place there. So that just felt really good to me values-wise. I learned a ton, uh, worked up to corporate HR, did whole bunch of projects um, and then moved into corporate ethics and compliance. And uh, and this was a fireman's fund insurance company. And then the market was kind of tanking with that and the company was dwindling. So then I took a leap to healthcare and became the chief compliance and ethics officer at McKesson U.S. Pharmaceutical and built their first integrated compliance and ethics program for like a $90 billion business. So that was going to say, for those that, that don't fun. know McKesson, multi, multi-billion dollar <laughs> company in the healthcare industry. Absolutely huge. Yeah. So I started, that was, I learned a lot of leadership stuff, building a team from scratch, making a business case for every headcount, starting out with nothing and having an incredible remit. I mean, I was responsible for all the legal and regulatory and ethical issues in a $90 billion business. So that's, you know, kind of a lot. And so I learned resilience and grit and navigating complex matrix structures. And then I taught law school for a semester after finishing up what I wanted to do at McKesson, took a personal break. I have two daughters. So I've always been a working mom. And I just knew it was like, I'd kind of had rounded out my program and was moving into a maintenance mode. And I'm a much better builder. Mm. I was more interested in the build side. So this, the strategy of that and the change management leadership of that. And so then took a six month break, taught law school, and then got headhunted to be the chief administrative officer of the California Dental Association, which was really cool because I had about half the company reporting to me. And so I could really just focus on very high level strategy, communications, strategic direction of the organization. Did that for a couple of years, also was a CHRO for a publicly traded bank, and then decided I wanted to be independent and have the freedom to write and speak and consult and do a bunch of things. And so that's what I do now. So I, uh, because you know, when you're an executive, you kind of have a corporate gag order. You have to be careful what you say and you represent the company 100% of the time. And that was really important to me. But now having the freedom to write about pay equity or, you know, all the different things that my clients run into um, in coaching or in organizations is it's, it's really freeing just to be able to try to find practical solutions, just to kind of help the world along to be a little, a little more easy to navigate and uh, better place really. No, it's great. I mean, you, you've accomplished so much, you've done so many things in your career and you have so much experience. It's, It's great to be able to go out and be able to speak openly about those things and, and work yeah. on the things you want to work on, right? Because now you've, I would imagine, put yourself in a position where 
you can do that and maybe not worry as much about the money or anything else. Whereas early in your career, it's hard to come out of law school right. and go, go be yeah. a crusader, right? Or work for a nonprofit or, or you know, public defense. It, it all sounds good, but then you have the huge loans you have to yeah. pay for. I really appreciate those who do, but yeah, it is. Yeah. It is I'm curious, you know, you, you talked about getting into compliance and HR, and you also talked about before that dealing with a lot of lawsuits and gives you a unique perspective on all the things that are sort of going on in the corporate world. HR and talent development, I'd say, you know, in the modern world today, we're all about, oh, we're about the people and developing people and how do we help people thrive and work. The history of HR is more about compliance, right? Where it comes from in the beginning is about regulations, rules, compliance, make sure everybody follows rules. I feel like you have done a lot of work that sort of spans kind of in between those two worlds. How do you think about that and the modern HR executive who uh, probably wants to be more about developing people, but obviously still has some compliance issues to abide by. I think of of HR and compliance and ethics, and then sometimes legal, depending on the legal officer, as really the culture developers of the organization. HR is in the pole position if it wants it. You know, I would say in terms because they control the employee life cycle, hiring, you know, development, comp, promotions all that kind of stuff to, to whatever separation potentially is and what that experience is like for people and how that impacts the brand. So having been a CHRO and having been in HR for probably about half of my career, you know, I, I take it very seriously in terms of how is every decision, if, if, you know, if all employees knew about this decision, would they think it's fair? Mm-hmm. Would they think it's just, they have a strong sense of organizational justice, which gets to, you know, my work on promotability, because who gets promoted and why is one of the most important, visible, tangible statements a company can make about what its culture is and what it values, right? Kind of the unwritten rules, not just the words that are on the wall. And so I think that people find that work with me in compliance, find that I integrate the HR people that find me in HR, find that I integrate the compliance and ethics in. And it's a really fun mix for me. For me, it's pretty seamless. But organizationally, it's often siloed. And so one of the other topics that I talk about a lot is, is how to come together and, and work, you know, hand in glove with HR as a strategic partner, because I think that it's it's so critical and both yeah. teams can do so much to support the other. And especially when there's usually scarce resources, it's an easy way to kind of scale yourself. Yeah. Let, let's look at the other side of that for a moment before we get into the, the career stuff. For people in HR and particularly talent development, learning and development who are looking for ways to become more strategic or be seen as more partners to the business, right? So we're not just cost centers or training. What advice do you have for becoming more of a partner to the business and working more collaboratively with, you know, say executives in the C-suite? The first thing is to build a relationship. And I'd say you do that by earning respect. And that would be by hunkering down and really learning the business well. If it's a public traded company, for example, and it's a new job, you know, I spend my, I have a, I always had a learning plan for myself the first 90 days. And the first thing was to read the 10K, you know, what are the, how does the company make money? What are the major risks? What are the liabilities? Are there any active lawsuits that are going to be on the board of directors and therefore trickling down eventually to whoever I'm reporting to and impacting our budget, impacting our, communications externally and how we we view things. And so that's super important because you can learn the business's language that way. And the business can hear you more if you can talk about, say, a headcount concern or a 
performance issue if you're if you're framing it up in the context of what's going on. I would say second, you know, always being aware of what are the top three problems your boss is working on, your business unit is working on. So if you're an HRBP, it would be probably your dotted line, you know, business leader. Again, that helps you understand what their reality is so that you don't come off tone deaf. If you have a request or an issue that's coming up, you can explain, you know, what it is and why they should care and what you're proposing to do about it. Yeah, absolutely. So really dig in and get to know the business and the financials and how the business works, what the strategy is, build those relationships and get to know what are the top problems or challenges and maybe objectives that your business partners have, the people in the business that you're working with. So you really understand, hey, what are they trying to achieve? What are they trying to overcome? And are there ways that you can help them achieve that? And that's going to help you become more successful in your role, help the business become more successful. So speaking of becoming more successful in your roles, the, 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 one of the things, the main thing I wanted to talk about today was your key elements. I think you have five key elements of promotability. And it's a, yeah. a book you have and a talk that you do. And you know, me doing a lot of talks myself in career development and teaching people how to own their careers, I'm really fascinated by this and, and want to learn more about this. How can we help people think more strategically about how to become more successful or even how to get promoted in their career? So I wonder if you could walk us, walk us through this. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I felt that companies weren't doing a very good job of articulating. And I, having been in those rooms where it happens, I saw the different qualities that were evaluated in terms of when com- how, who, how companies decided who to invest in and why. And I divided them into the five key elements of promotability. And so, so those are now an 82 question assessment that, uh, that anyone can access. I made it available and free on my website. One of my other goals is to make leadership and getting ahead accessible to everyone to kind of even the playing field. Cause some of us start out with better resources than others, whether it's a father or mother that mentored you at home, or you went to a special school that had a great alumni network or whatever it is. Right. So I wanted to do that. And so it's, it's a, Super fun, easy way. I also wanted to put the fun back in learning. I know that's something that ATD folks probably really want as well. I found that so many performance discussions are scary and they're a look back as opposed to an exciting, inspirational, creative look forward. Because because the compensation discussion and you know whether you got a promotion is always what you do for me lately, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to where do we want to go together? Yeah. And so the promotability index is all focused on, you know, what what do I need to do more? Where am I now? It helps you assess where you stack up currently, and then where do you want to be? And that's a most powerful discussion to have with your leader. But if you don't have a supportive leader, you can do it on your own or with a colleague or with someone in your network. For example, you know, two colleagues to get together and do it. So what I found in looking at all of the data on promotions was that there are five key criteria for getting promoted. And they're a little bit overlapping and, and they do build on one another and they're in a, a bit of an order, but you can circle back depending on the level of responsibility or whatever new job you get. So the first is self-awareness. The second is external awareness. The third is strategic thinking. The fourth is thought leadership. And the fifth is executive presence. Hmm. And there are ways we can break down each one of those and action getting better on each of those levels, visibly yeah. better and immeasurably better. Yeah. I could see those all being really important. I talk a lot about self-awareness because I see it as like the foundation yeah. for owning your career, for having a good life, for mindfulness, for being a great leader. It starts with really getting to know yourself. And this can come from 
you know, your own introspective thought as well as feedback from others. How do you recommend people improve their self-awareness? There's several ways, but the quickest way I find is, is really doing some, there's, you can do some deep work. Obviously that's what I do as a coach. I do 360 reviews. People often tell me things that I do an interview based so that I get a lot of rich information from my clients. I use the Hogan assessment as well, which is extremely helpful in getting at values, preferences, and motivators. And then I would say in terms of how people can take a step, one step for themselves in the self-awareness area, if they don't have access to a 360, is they can ask their boss, you know, what one thing could I do that would improve my performance? And if you ask the question that way, and if you stop and just simply listen, you will usually get a really thoughtful response that's actionable. And if you just thank the person and, you know, try to implement it and let them know that you're working on it, that can be a really great way to know how you're viewed, what you need to improve on, that kind of thing, especially if it's someone that you're actually having a difficult time working with. That can be, people are usually surprised because they know if the relationship's not working well. And if you surprise them and take the initiative to do that, you actually gain a lot of respect and Mm -hmm. You can, you can work through it, I think, a bit easier. Yeah, you open yourself to feedback, which is really the, the best way for us to grow and improve. I like that question. So you're not, you're not saying, hey, if you just say, what can I do to improve? It could be lots of things, mm-hmm. or they may feel overwhelmed by the number of things. But if you just say, hey, what's one thing, then they can yeah. pick one thing. If you ask that question, I would imagine sometimes people ask that question and the response is like, no, I think everything's going great. Like you're doing a great job. Would you push back and say, no, I really want something that I can improve because, you know, if you're dealing with sort of conflict averse people, mm-hmm. they may be still reticent to give any feedback or they think you're doing fine. And even though there probably is, there's always something we can all do to improve. Right. But sometimes people are not willing to give that feedback right away. I might make a joke. Of it. I'd say, really, I'm perfect. Yeah. You know, really, you know, my spouse doesn't tell me that or my kids don't agree and just say Say, say, really, come on, like, yeah. this is important to me. I really want to be the best I can. If you can't think of one thing right now, can we check back in at our next one-on-one or when yeah. we get grab coffee the next week? Something like that. I would, because you're right. Some people, even if you try to make it psychologically safe for them to give you the feedback, they still might be reticent. Sometimes that's cultural. Sometimes they've been burned because someone has said, oh yeah, give it to me. And then they've never talked to them again. Right. <laughs> right. You, have to, you have to really make sure that you don't retaliate with a, with a tiny R, you know, I mean, in the sense of just, you do have to be willing to hear something. Maybe you don't want to hear, you might disagree and that's okay. That's another really important point. Andy, I would say is be ready that maybe you won't completely agree with it, but agree with yourself that you'll mull it over, mm. you know, because it's still more important let's say it's just that person's perception and you had one bad run and they caught you on a bad day, right? Or the right. one mistake you made on X or Y, they yeah. happen to catch it and they just judged you on it. I mean, it's what we do as humans. We have limited information. Mm-hmm. We make judgments or we wouldn't be able to get through the day, right? right? So the downside to that is we need to control perception that other people have of us and they're not visible until we unearth them. And so this question is a way of unearthing it. And then we can say, okay, that person has that perception of me that I'm, I'm uh, sloppy or I'm always late. I have to do, usually you have to do six X the incident rate (laughs) to change someone's opinion. It it can take about six months too, if we're talking about a timeline. So you may be like, I'm not, I'm not untimely. They're just, they're just nailing me for that one time. Great. Well, just so you know, now, you know, great. Cause that they might have put a bug in someone's ear during 
performance nine boxing or whatever it is, right? And you want them to be like, oh, you know, they're they're terrific. And so th- there are reasons, even if you disagree, to be like, wow, that's what they think of me. Okay, yeah. I disagree. And that gives me the power now to work on changing their perception on where they got that from, or I do know where they got that from. Right. Super powerful. Yeah. And and you could say, hey, I disagree, but it's also, I think, a good idea of self-awareness, right? To go introspectively, ask yourself, am I disagreeing just because I don't think that's how I meant to come off. I'm being defensive. Is there some truth to it? Or do you know really that it's just them having this one experience and it's it's not a big deal? But I always think too, if one person thinks something, then probably others do as well. And it's worth investigating, yeah. right? That perception because their perception is their reality. And exactly. if they think that, what if other people think that? And now other people are perceiving you as being aloof because you're often late to meetings, which is me, by the way. Uh, (laughs) right. And is that something you want to change or, you know, can you deal with it because there's maybe other opportunities for you? Right. And one thing I would say that wasn't probably clear is when you get the response from the person, the only thing you should say is thank you. Thank you. And then if you have a clarifying question, like, you know, thank you so much for that feedback. Was there a time when I was late? Is is that, could, Mm. could you give me a little more detail, but you don't argue and you don't disagree. You can right. only ask and, or they will never tell you again. Right. I mean, you're just proving them like, yep, that's why I don't give people feedback. Right. right? <laughs> so you you have to go into it with a little bit of vulnerability and courage of just being like, okay, hit me with it privately, you know, talk to your friend be like, you know, oh my God, I can't believe they said this. I totally just, do you see this yeah. in me? But, yeah. but, but you don't, if you want to continue to keep getting the feedback and be aware of the perceptions, which again, you might not agree with, but if it's yeah. a person in power, do they have control over your upward mobility, then yeah, you kind of need, do you want that blind spot? You want that perspective. I might hate that they have that, but that's different than not knowing, boy, that's a big earthquake waiting to happen. So I don't want that. It's funny. You reminded me, this is not a corporate or a boss type situation. A a friend of mine, we'll say a casual friend. He's not a really good friend, but someone I know fairly, fairly well, hung out a couple of times, gave a keynote at a conference that I was at uh, several months back. And it was the first time he had delivered this particular keynote and you and I are both speakers. And, and he asked a, a group of us for feedback afterwards. I said, well, I actually have some feedback. I wrote some notes down and it's because I, you know, I'm not the foremost expert, but I have, I am a speaker. I speak a lot. I study it. I watch other people. I look yeah. at what works. Like I'm fascinated. And so I had some things that I thought he could improve. And I said, yeah, if you wanted, I'm happy to give you my feedback. He asked for it. And so I went down my list and he refuted every single one, got very defensive. Okay. So what and- was that like for you? It was, it was so off-putting. Like I just didn't, <laughs> like, I didn't want to talk to him anymore. I'm like, I, I'm doing this to try to help you ask for it. Right. It was work for you. I'm not right? here to try to right. I know. I don't like doing it. I'm not here to try to criticize you, bring you down. He's a friend, right? I want to help him because he's like, this is the first time I delivered this. I want to do it more in, you know, companies and conferences. And honestly, what I saw, I just didn't see it being, now that's my own perspective, right? Sure. It's possible that other people saw it. They're like, this is amazing you need to do this more. And so maybe again, my feedback might be unique to me and maybe I'm off, but I think he's got some work to do. So I tried to give him some feedback to help him and it didn't land well, right? He was just very defensive and kind of pushed me off and justified everything that he did. And so finally I just threw my hands up. I'm like, fine, you know, go, you know, good luck, have fun with it. Right. And as far as I know, I, I don't know if he's delivered that keynote again. I, I wonder, you know, I kind of want to like see what happens in future. <laughs> well, and you've raised the other, the other lesson, the other sub rule to this, which is if you 
are going to potentially respond that way, then don't ask. You're not, you're right. not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready right. to ask. So right. don't. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. We could talk so much about feedback and self-awareness. <laughs> I think it's like, Oh gosh, his self-awareness anyway, it's, it's so interesting, but you also mentioned external awareness. So I yeah. imagine this is now looking out at the people that you're working with, the people around you. And do you understand how other people work and what like motivates them and how to communicate with them? Is that what you mean by that? It is. That's part of it. It's, it's around um, how to self-awareness is, is I think, you know, how much I've, and you can define this multiple ways. They're mm. kind of two sides of the same coin because people, you know, are, are promoted and are great leaders when they, you know, know themselves and they know how to get along with others. The, those are the two reasons that, that leaders mm. really succeed or fail yeah. are those two things. So I think of knowing themselves as a self-awareness yeah. and understanding how they impact others and how well they get along with others as the external awareness although there, there's a lot of overlap. So what I find in my coaching is that external awareness is one of the areas that is the biggest blocker for people in being where they want to go. And I wrote an article actually about it in uh, HBR called promotions aren't just about your skills. They're about your relationships. Mm, I saw because that. what I found that is when people, and this may resonate with you, but people, you know, we, we, we're so conditioned, especially as Americans to, to um, focus on our credentials mm-hmm. and our technical, our technical skills. And we gain all these certifications and diplomas and, you know, keep going and going and gathering this technical knowledge, but there, we reach a point of saturation where that's no longer enough. And at a certain point in your career, say, let's say director level ish, give or take relationships become more important than actually what, you know, at that point to get up to an executive level of the C-suite, what, you know, is less important than how well you get along with people. They are to take it for granted, it's ticket to the game that, you know, your stuff, Right. At that point then, and people call it politics, dirty politics, there's a lot of you know, negativity assigned to it. And whatever you want to call it, it's just reality though. People you know, want to be able to relate to you. Different executives teams have different personalities. So this is what I work with a lot in my coaching in terms of you know, what's the fit, where are there any breakdowns, what is a per- perception issue, what might be a derailer in this particular context with this organization, what you're being asked to do, where is it on the change management cycle, are you scaling up? Are you riffing? Are you, are you in a steady state? There's so many different things that can that can come into play for how you perform. Mm. You mentioned thought leadership, and I'm curious. Do you mean by this things like writing papers and building a brand online? Are there other factors to this? Because some people may say like, "Oh, I don't really want to do that," or "That's not no. part of my job." But are you finding that's more and more important for people to get recognized and promoted these days? It is the key elements, the five key elements are listed sort of in order of how I think you hit them as you come up the ranks. So self-awareness primary, you and I agree on that. Then external awareness, then uh, strategic thinking, I would put third, the Mm -hmm. ability where you're viewed as capable of thinking beyond simply your your vertical. Mm -hmm. That's where people start getting to promote it to director, right? And managing other people because they can see the bigger picture, not just what's in front of them. Then thought leadership and and executive presence are kind of both very important at that point. Thought leadership is in my opinion, I define it as being viewed both inside your organization and outside your organization as an expert in something, the thing hopefully that you love. Mm. And so you start by being an internal expert. You know, early in your career, people recognize your work, you do a good job, you execute well, maybe you go above and beyond, maybe you take on some cross-functional projects, et cetera. Those all show thought leadership. Maybe you you know, write internally for the intranet. A lot of companies have intranets and things. Mm-hmm. Maybe you lead an employee group on an issue. So that all gets you a broader network. So for me, thought leadership is 
and all of these criteria around building your network before you need it externally, you know, volunteering for ATD, speaking there. There's so many wonderful professional associations that also always need content. Yeah. They have a podcast or they have a, you know, an e-zine. And so it's never been easier to stand up and give an opinion or share guide. every day. You oh my gosh. Right. It. It's free. Yeah. It's so easy. So there's, I, I get it that some people are shy about it. Some people are better public speakers. Mm-hmm. Some people are better writers. Some people are better at, at connecting people, you know, just, just pick your thing and be helpful. But I would say that, that taking a leap and being confident that you have something to offer is really important around thought leadership. And that does over time build and compound and makes you more promotable, makes you more valuable in the marketplace, makes you more valuable to your company. It's good insurance. It's just a really smart thing to do. And I'm not talking about spending hours and hours on, you know, TikTok or whatever. Just right. a little, just a little bit of investment, you know, every yeah. week can go a long way. Be helpful. You know, say, oh, I, I'm struggling with this in our learning and development program. I want to share this article. It's fantastic that I just read in HBR. Right. right? You don't have to, you don't have to be some, you know, Einstein unique whatever, you yeah. know, you can just, you can share interesting content. It's not yeah. about showing off. It's about being helpful. Right. So like I wrote in my book, I talk a lot about building your personal brand right in line with this and that, you know, the extent you can go build that brand on LinkedIn or other places can be really yeah. helpful to you in, in career success. And you just shared an example I love to come to, which is that you don't always have to be creating original content. Yeah. You can be sharing, Hey, I just read this article by, you know, Amy Barnard Bond in Harbor <laughs> Business Review or any article, or I listened to this podcast interview, right, yeah. on the Talent Development Think Tank. And here's three things I learned. You might want to check it out too. And yeah. I always think what that does is, A, you're helping people in your network find interesting information, like cutting through all the clutter. And B, it shows you are someone who's interested in learning about a particular subject. And I think the more you share that, the more it makes you look like uh, at least a, a burgeoning expert, if you will, in that area. This is someone who's very curious. They're always learning and Mm -hmm. they're probably an expert on this subject as well. Exactly. And particularly for people who are looking to network or who might be looking down the line at making a transition, again, building your network before you need it. You just mentioned an idea. Let's say you have someone that you've been, that you've heard is just an amazing, you know, leader, L and D director, and you'd love to work for them someday. Well, follow them on social media, see if they are writing articles, Mm. promote, promote their article. It's, it's a lot easier to reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to connect with you. I, you know, I admire your article on X, which you kind of, I'd love to connect on LinkedIn yep. and then, you know, tag them in the article. That's a much nicer way. It's a perfectly appropriate and polite way to introduce yourself rather than just sending some empty connect request Yeah. where they're like, I've never heard of this person, right? You're, you're, they're like, Oh, that's cool. They like my work. I mean, you're starting to build that relationship, no trust and like, yeah, I, you know, lots of people reach out. To wanting to be on this podcast or speak mm-hmm. at my conference. And you know how I respond to is warm introductions and uh, people who I've noticed have been supportive of me in the past, right? And yeah. I'm like, oh, you've been supportive of me. Like, let me see how I can support you. But if you're just looking to take from me, then eh, it's probably a pass from me, right? Unless you have something really interesting that I want to talk about. And that comes through on LinkedIn too, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah, I, I just... My, my rule is, you know, always be helpful. That's kind of my, I, that's mm-hmm. my filter before I post anything. Is this helpful? The other one is, is this kind is, yeah. you know, I never want to, I try to always be optimistic, realist, but, but, you take down but optimistic. Oh <laughs> God. Yeah. Some people, I don't know why they spend their energy that way. It's just, 
not a way I want to, I want to be right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I, I just left Twitter. Actually. So I gave it up. I just, Oh my gosh. It. There's just, yeah, there's some entertainment there. Okay. I want to make sure we get to this before we run out of time, Amy, because I think that we could keep going on about the promotability index. I think there's so much to go into there, but you also have this article and this talk you do on how to deliver bad news. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by that. You, you talk about the art and skill of delivering bad news because I am, you know, self-diagnosed people pleaser. One of the reasons I have so many friends is because I'm anti-confrontational. I told you before <laughs> we started recording, I had to kind of deliver some bad news earlier today because I decided that some contractors that were working for me, I wanted to put a pause in that relationship, which means I wasn't gonna be paying them for a while. I hate doing that, but I knew it was the right thing to do for my business. So I just kind of sucked it up. But what what's what, what advice do you have for those of us who need to deliver any kind of bad news for people to people. Well, I I was fascinated by this because deliverers of bad news are actually distrusted and, and hated uh, potentially. And there is a backlash. There's a reason, you know, shoot the messenger for, for really bad situations like rifts or not meeting your quarterly earnings call, right? Mm -hmm. CEOs get fired for that. And I just thought, wow, we've got to get better at receiving and delivering bad news. How can I help? And so, because I've seen it on with uh, whistleblowers, right? And news that boards have to hear and people, you know, warning signs that went bad. I mean, think of Theranos, right? Everyone's too terrified to say anything. Mm. We don't, we don't want that kind of culture. Like no one wants to work in that kind of culture. That's awful. So my goals are, okay, how can I bring people together and help understand the psychology behind why we would, why we would feel so negative towards someone giving us bad news. So I interviewed a bunch of people, everyone from Wall Street executives to people doing major layoffs, people in, in Afghanistan. And I came up with a six-step process, I broke it down, what worked, what didn't work. And so it's free on my website under tools, um, but I can walk you through that right now if it would be helpful. Yeah. If you want to give me the quick, quick yeah. journey on the six steps, that'd be great. And then people can go to your website. We'll okay, great. More. So the first is psychologically prepare your audience. That can be just in time, like perhaps when you called this person today, you may have said, hey, I have some rough news. Mm. Just that pause helps your brain focus and settle in of, oh, okay, incoming, like something, our, our system gets triggered, our defense system around, okay, I'm, I need to, we literally like lose some energy when we, yeah. but it prepares us as opposed to someone just saying, you know, I don't want to work with you anymore. Or like We're like, what'd you say? Like your yeah. brain literally can't process it. So you have to have a little... You know, one thing that I love, if it's an executive team or a board of directors is, I wish I had better news. Mm. Hmm. And then I pause. And then I, then I go into it. And the second rule is be fully present and focused, really, you know, good eye contact, really be, you know, emotionally and, and viscerally with your audience that you, that demonstrates you care and that you're very in the moment and that they need to be in this moment with you. You know, the other is to convey benevolent intent. There's research that shows that if you remind people, even though you're giving them bad news, that that you're either, you know, doing this in the best interest of the company. Let's say it was a horrible accident that's just that just happened in the company and you knew it was going to result in litigation. You might be the general counsel and might say, I wish I had better news. As you know, it's my role to protect the company. You know, this horrible thing just happened. This is what we're doing about it. So, you know, the next couple, of, if you have the ability to do this, the next step is to rehearse confident delivery. You don't always have the luxury of time. If it's something that's really urgent and an active issue, you might need to just go straight in. But if you have time, it's better to rehearse, get any fumbling words out of the way, really be confident and help 
have gravitas in terms of your tone of voice mm. so that you, you can be a calming influence that can negotiate to the end of the situation. You know, someone being hysterical or upset never helps a bad situation. Right. Right. So, so being, you know, talking in a, in a, in a low tone like this is, is super helpful. The fifth one is explain without justifying, especially if mm. you had a, you had a hand in the problem. Like say you're one of your team members did something that they really shouldn't have done, et cetera. It doesn't help you. And you've probably experienced this as well. If someone tells you the bad news and they're like, but it's not my fault, you know, we did this and this and this, and I don't know why that you really don't want to hear it. You just want to hear. Sounds like my kids. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, mine too. Sometimes. Yeah. So you kind of want to, you want to hear, you know, I'm taking accountability for this. Right. This is on my, this is on my watch. This is what I'm going to do to make sure it never happens again. Mm-hmm. And then if necessary, you want to add a sense of urgency. One mistake people make with really bad issues, really significant, costly, or risk issues to an organization is they tend to downplay mm. the significance of the issue. And as change management leaders will understand, I appreciate the risk of doing that, even though it, it's psychologically tempting to do it if you're the deliverer of the bad news. Like, oh, this isn't so bad. I mean, this bad. sounds bad, but it's not that yeah, bad. Not that bad. The, da- the danger of doing that, if it's a really bad issue particularly, is that you let people off the hook and it releases the steam of the urgency that is absolutely needed. As John Cotter would tell us all, urgency is the primary platform needed for change, right? So let's say it was a bad manager that that was toxic in the workplace and needed to be fired, but they were the number one sales producer for the organization. Let's say this was something that was like over the top and they really needed to be fired. You wouldn't want to diminish that and be like, ah, oh, we'll take it, right? Or a toxic chemical spill, right? Or child labor or, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. So, so those are the six steps and it's been proven to, to reduce the likelihood you'll get a backlash. You can come out of it, not only squeaky clean, but hopefully a little bit of a, of a hero, you know, a, a humble hero and be seen as a fixer, you know, as an appropriate ethical fixer. Right. Yeah. And it may not always go great. I mean, sometimes, you know, people, they don't like receiving bad news, right. But it's just got to happen sometimes. So it helps to practice and, and do it the right way. Okay. So we're wrapping things up here. Amy, this has been great. I know you have some resources on your website, including the promotability index and the six steps to delivering bad news. Where can people go to get those? Yeah, they just go to barnardbond.com. So B-A-R-N-A-R-D-B-A-H-N.com. And I'm easy to find because A-M-I-I, my first name is spelled usually, and I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn with people. Excellent. Well, Amy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this great advice. There's so much more we could go into, but we've got to wrap things up for now. So if you're interested in the topics that Amy talked about, make sure you go over to her website and grab those free resources, connect with her on LinkedIn. If you're not connected with me on LinkedIn, let's connect there and you know, share happy news, maybe not bad news, but help each other uh, become more successful in the world of talent development. Amy, thank you again for being here. I look forward to talking with you more soon. Oh, thank you, Andy. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. All right. That will do it for my interview with Amy Barnard Bond, who is a recognized Forbes expert on coaching and compliance. She's also a former attorney who is, I believe, getting back into the game and involved in a law firm. But she also does a lot of executive coaching and working with different organizations. And I love that the insights that she brought on promotability and how to make yourself more promotable and move up in the workplace. And I knew that would be something that would be relevant for both you as an L&D professional for your own individual career, as well as helping 
other people, employees, individuals, associates in the uh, the companies that you work for or with. And so I hope that was valuable. I definitely took down some notes. By the way, the five key elements of promotability that I wrote down were self-awareness, external awareness, strategic thinking, thought leadership, and executive presence. And obviously, you can go back through and listen to how she broke some of those down or go check out her resource. We'll put a link in the show notes to her website where you can go grab that free resource. And then the things I wrote down for how to deliver bad news, which is something that I definitely struggle with, are psychologically prepare the audience by letting people know what's coming. She said, quote, I wish I had better news, but blank dot dot dot. Be fully present and focused. Convey benevolent intent the why behind things. This is why we're doing this. Rehearse confident delivery and explain without justifying. So not justifying things away, which people try to do all the time, but like, hey, this is the bad thing that's going on. This is the way we're going to handle it. This is the the thing that's happening. And I need to get better at this. I have, you know, I don't, I don't find myself in the habit of delivering a lot of bad news to people. Luckily, I don't think I've had to deliver much bad news to clients, but I do hire quite a few contractors uh, to do different things for me. And over the years, I've, you know, for various reasons, felt the need to let some of them go or put work on pause. And I always hate having that conversation. I don't know how you feel about that. But to tell someone like, hey, it's been nice working with you, but we're not working together anymore. And, you know, here's the reason and, you know, to actually get and give clear feedback so that they can improve or, you know, improve for the future, whatever it may be. I still need to improve on that. I don't know about you. It's always hard because I've been so conflict averse. So it was great having that conversation with Amy and hearing what she put down for that. And if you enjoyed that, of course, you can reach out to Amy on LinkedIn, go grab her free resources. Stay tuned because in our next conversation will be our bonus Q&A round with Amy barnard Bond. Before you go, I want to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by the Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Uh, it is the number one community out there to connect with other people in talent development, like really connect and build real relationships, not just like meet people on surface level. You can do that at ATD and plenty other uh, large associations and networking type meetings. We are about making real connections, really helping people connect and build relationships, foster community, supporting people in improving their capabilities and achieving more career success and helping people find jobs. We're, we're doing that as well. In addition to our weekly calls with guest speakers on Wednesdays, we now have a job search group that meets on Thursdays. We have a job board in our Slack channel, and we have many other great things going on. In fact, I recently launched a new group within the community for entrepreneurs. It's the entrepreneur group in the talent development think tank community. And that is available now. In fact, I announced it just a few days ago and we've already filled it up. We are going to be opening more slots and you can go to our website and apply for that. If you are an entrepreneur or you are starting a business in the L&D space, you can find out all the information on our website, which is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and just click on community. So talentdevelopmentthinktank.com slash community. We have three tiers now in there, the foundation level for early career professionals, the main level for L&D practitioners, but it's called all access on the website, which gives you access to all of our calls and Slack channel. And then we have the entrepreneur group for those of you who are running a business in the corporate L&D space. And if you have questions, you always reach out to me. And otherwise, if you're just looking for a community, like come check us out. We do calls every Wednesday. It's really a fantastic community with some really, really wonderful individuals. And if you love building your network, building relationships, supporting others and getting support, this would be the place for you. Again, the website is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com slash community. Hope to see you there. And I will talk to you 
in just a couple days when I release my bonus Q&A round with Amy Barnard Bond. Stay tuned. <laughs>